Good morning, everybody. It is great to see each and every one of you here today. Welcome to Solana Valley Church. Go ahead and find a, a seat. Thank you so much for joining us. And to our viewers online on Facebook and YouTube, thank you so much for joining us as well. What an opportunity we have today to gather and worship our amazing God. He is so worthy of our praise and our devotion, isn't he? So I want to introduce our guest worship leader today. Her name is Elise Strickland, and Elise is the uh, choir and chapel director of Vacaville Christian Schools. Thank you so much for being here today to cover. Thank you so much, Kayla and Daniel, for joining in and leading us as well. And so let's stand together, church, and let's give God the glory and praise he deserves. Amen. Thanks, Matt. It is my honor to be here. Like Matt said, I um, teach worship and choir over at Vacaville Christian. I'm also the Young Adults Minister over at Real Life Church here in Fairfield. And I am just super excited to be worshiping in person with you. Our church right now, we we don't have a um, building, and so we're not meeting in person very often right now. So for me, it's it's, it's totally a gift to get to worship with people in the room. I think that that's really powerful, the things that are unleashed when we are um, worshiping together as the family of God. I think there's some beautiful family bonding time that happens this way and with our Father, too. And it's just awesome to get to be a part of that. So let's, let's worship together. worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken the life. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. been faithful. You've been faithful through every storm. You've been faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know you will do it again. For your promise is yes and amen. You will do great things. You will do great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom. 
have done great things. You have done great things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. Above it all. Hallelujah, God. Unshakable. Hallelujah. You have done great things. Above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, hallelujah, you have done great things. Let's sing that again one more time, sing it out. You 
burning for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Oh, you take. people who can sing and play the piano at the same time. At least that was amazing. I mean, I can do it in my car, but not up here on stage. So, oh, that was beautiful. Amazing. Well, I want to welcome all you guys to SVC, Solano Valley Church. We're so excited to see so many people here face to face. It feels like it's getting back to normal because it is getting back to normal. So we want to encourage you guys to come face to face on Sundays. And for all those who are joining us online, we still are so excited for you to be here. And we love that God has given us the technology to still come into your homes and um, to, you know, reach people who aren't here face to face. But I want you to know that everything is set up beautifully. Steve does such a great job making sure that we're all safe here. 
The kids' rooms are open. So come on back to church because we miss seeing you guys. We've been praying for you, and we're ready for you to come back. So one of the things here at SVC that we're huge on is connection. And um, it's one of our goals to create a safe place for um, you to come and to connect. And we do that through small groups. We have lots of small groups going. Joy has a small group going right now. We're going to meet today, finally. We've been on a break for a couple weeks. We're going to go back to the backyard. Actually, we're going to go to the living room today because it's so hot. But the point is is that there's always groups going on for you to get involved in and join in on. And Pastor Gary has a special group that's coming up um, on the 19th, July 19th at 6 p.m. He's going to be having a men's barbecue at the Ronsvall's house. And so you're going to come, eat tri-tip. Um, you know, probably there's going to be some beans there. I don't know what you eat with tri-tip. All the good stuff that goes along with it. But we want the guys to come and connect on July 19th at 6 p.m. at the Ronsvall's house. If you have any questions, you can talk to Pastor Gary. I'm sure he can give you all the details on how you can bring a friend and come. And I think that that's going to be the beginning of a new men's group. So we really want to encourage you to get involved in small groups. You can check out every group that we have on our SVC app. You click groups. It'll give you the person, the leader's name and number. You just contact them. Um, you don't have to start when we start. You can jump in anytime. One of our big rules is there's always an open seat available for you. I also want to remind you for tonight, we're going to be having revival prayer. It's at 6.30 here in the building. Um, revival prayer is so important. It's one of our foundations for the church, you know, um, to be disciples and to, and to take the next step, but also to be involved in revival prayer. And what that means is that we pray for our community, we pray for our country, we pray for our church to see revival. We don't want to just come here and, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit on Sundays and then never see the fruit of that in the world. We want to pray for revival, and revival starts in our own hearts. Right? We can't see revival on the streets until we have experienced it ourselves. And so I want to encourage you to come tonight, 6.30 in the building. You don't have to be someone who like loves to pray out loud or anything like that. I don't want you to feel like, oh, I don't want to pray out loud. You don't have to do that. You can come, just soak it all in, pray in your spirit. It's going to be fantastic. So please come tonight, 6.30. All right. I think my next one's giving, yes. All right. So this week I was reading in my Bible in uh, Proverbs 12, and it was telling me about tithing and how everything belongs to the Lord. Like he gives it to you so that you can bless others and then give back, right? So everything that we have already belongs to the Lord. And I've told you guys before, the Lord loves a joyful giver. He doesn't like when we have to scratch out our checks because, you know, we're just like, oh, you know, he loves when we give out of just abundance and um, just the joy of our heart. And, um, you know, last week, I, or I think it was two weeks ago, I was just really blessed. There's someone in the church that came up and handed me some money for the kids bowling thing. And I just thought, man, that is so incredible because she gave just joyfully. She wasn't going to go bowling. You know, but she just gave because, you know, God laid it on her heart to do that. And because she did that, four kids got to go bowling. So it's like, oh, my gosh, like, let the Lord speak to you on what you want. He wants you to give. And there's four ways to give. You can give online at solanovalley.org backslash giving. You can go on to our awesome SVC app. Just tap give. And you can set up, like, reoccurring payments on there. It's so easy. That's, it's so easy. You can send a check. To 1307 Oliver Road, 
Fairfield, California, 95, what is it, 94534. Or you can text give to 707-883-3019. Or when you're here in person, you can just drop it off in the slot in the back. So we want to thank you guys for being joyful givers. All, all that you do, there's so much fruit in all that you do. I, I want you to see that. You know, because of your giving, you know, we're not only able to come here face to face, but the kids are able to do stuff. You know, Gary's able to go to the leaven. All these things in our community are happening because of your joyful giving. So with that being said, I want to turn it back over to Gary, and he's going to come up and talk, talk a little bit about some of the awesome things that he's been experiencing this week. All right. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kimberly. I really appreciate it. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I've had a fantastic week this last week. Where should I put this? <laughs> I'm a little bit confused. I don't want to mess it up over here or over here. So, uh, uh, hey, uh, so anyway, this last week, I don't know about you guys. I got to have a couple of highlights. I, I like highlights. Actually, I had more than a couple of highlights. I had one highlight last night. I love going over to the Skinner's house and having burgers and stuff like that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but earlier this week... Uh, just curious, how many of you went bowling on Wednesday night? All right, so we have a few of you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how many people total we had. We had a really, really good group. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I did not bowl uh, for several reasons. Uh, sore shoulder, sore back. And I didn't want to humiliate myself in front of the kids. All right, let's just be honest. All right, so, uh, but no, actually, I, I spent time talking... What, what? Oh, you've seen yourselves? All right. Fantastic. All right. Yeah, I see you guys. Y'all look fantastic. I thought maybe it was something I was saying, you know? Okay. okay. So, so let's do this. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. So real quick, I'm going to ask two people to come up. Two people. Uh, I am going to ask for Luke Podovinsky. And I'm going to ask for Kalel Gatan. Can both you guys come up? All right, Luke and Kalel, I got something to give you guys real quick. Uh, actually, do you have something to give me? No? Oh, okay. Well, come on up anyway, all right? Uh, so, good to see you guys. How are you all doing today? Okay, all right. All right. So, so, so on Wednesday night, we have here, uh, we have the highest score. We have the, the highest score. Luke had the highest score, Okay. Uh, and he let me know several times while he was bowling. I was, I think I was talking with Dan. Dan, was I talking with you? I think we were talking and Luke came over. I got another, I got another strike, you know? And, uh, and then for Kalel, buddy, you best form. Okay. He had that fantastic form. All right, guys. Thank you. Y'all can return to your, your seats. All right. All right. So, uh, I, had a lot of fun just connecting with the kids. So you guys, uh, y'all are excused to go back to uh, to your worship time, uh, kids. Uh, and then the other thing I got to do this week that was a lot of fun. Sorry, you don't have any pictures here. Uh, but on Thursday, I went over to uh, the Leaven. Some of y'all know the Leaven. And what the Leaven does for kids, it does a lot of really, really good things. Uh, a lot of these kids, they're, they're over at the Groves. Uh, one, the place I went to was the Groves uh, Apartments, which is over on Sunset in East Tabor. And, um, and so a lot of these kids, 
they, they struggle a little bit more in school because of uh, some of them are learning to speak English or they, the mom and dad don't speak English. So sometimes they don't have the same kind of support in the educational process that like my kids grew up with. And, uh, and so, uh, so it helps kids that way. It gives kids a really positive place to hang out. And then also uh, the kids get to hear stories about Jesus. And a lot of these children, uh, they have no connection with the church of any kind. Uh, they have no one really to tell them the stories of Jesus. And so last week I went over, uh, I've been doing this the last couple of weeks. I'm going to volunteer at least weekly uh, over the next three months. But, but what I'm, to me it was just so much fun to be able to share with them. Uh, I, basically, I shared with them what I shared with you guys last week. I, I shared the story about how Jesus fed the 5,000, um, which we're going to look at a little bit today again. But I got to share that with them and just talk to them a little bit uh, about Jesus. And then after that, I got to play Jenga. I got to play Jenga with the kids. It was a word Jenga. You have to give the, the word on your little block after you pull your block out and put it back up too. But it was really, really a good time. Um, today, what I want to do, we're going to be looking at John chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. John chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. But before we dig into that, I want to share with you, I shared this last week, it's just a short confession. And what it says is it says this, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Okay, that's, this is me, okay? I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Every word of God is true. It is our ultimate final authority in all matters of life and faith. When my life differs with God's word, I will choose to change. I will change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that is my confession. I know that not everybody in this room may embrace that same way of thinking. But I want to begin by sharing with you where I'm coming from in my belief about Scripture. Before I launch into to John 6, I just want to talk with you. I want to ramble a little bit if I can, maybe a little bit more than usual. When I was in grad school, one of my profs was Norman Geisler. Now, Dr. Geisler has written a ton of books, uh, highly respected uh, scholar, theologian, uh, apologist, and, uh, and I remember, and, and, and Geisler's not the pers- first person to say this, uh, and he's certainly not the only person to say this, but, but Geisler really helped me to grasp this as a young seminary student. As he said this, he said that, that the New Testament, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Has any of y'all, have any of y'all heard this before? That, that the, the, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Now, what does that mean? Real quickly, real quick. Uh, the, Bible, the Bible is not one book. The Bible is 66 books. And it's divided into two testaments, or two covenants. The Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament's made up of 39 books. It was written over a time frame of roughly... Roughly a thousand years from about 1450 BC or 1440 BC up until around 400 BC. The New Testament was written over around a 60 year time frame, 
roughly shortly after the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, which would have been around 30 A.D. or 31, 32 A.D., 33, up to about 90 A.D., when John, who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote the book of Revelation, the last book, uh, the last book of, the, of the Scriptures. The Bible is... It's 66 books that was written by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages. The majority of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Uh, A few short parts are written in Aramaic. And the New Testament is written in Greek. It was... um, it's written in three languages, three continents, uh, it, 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 over a time frame of roughly uh, 1,500 years. And it was written by 40 different authors who come from very uh, diverse walks and ways of life. You have shepherds, you have a fig farmer, you have fishermen, you have a tent maker, you have a doctor. It was written by all these different kinds of people. And yet in this one book that is a collection of many books, you have one unifying story. And the story of the Bible is basically this. It's creation, fall, uh, redemption, and restoration. That, that it is a story, and at the, end, at, the, at the very center point of this story is the person of Jesus. It is a story about creation, about how God made all things good. But it's also a story about something that we call the fall. It's when the original man and the original woman sinned in the garden. And because of their sin, sin entered God's good creation. This is why we see so much of the bad we read about, either in the paper or our different news feeds that we might read. And so sin entered God's good creation, and with it came suffering, and with it came death. So you have creation, you have the fall, you have redemption. That everything in the Old Testament is preparing us for and pointing us to the coming of Jesus, who redeems people, lost people to himself. He saves people from their sin. He gives them hope. He gives them life, eternal life. And then ultimately, the Bible is a story about restoration when God will one day make all things good again. Now, this is the story of the Bible. This is the story of the Bible. And why is this important as we look at what we're going to look at today? One of the things that makes John chapter 6 a little bit challenging to read and very challenging for someone like me to preach is that is, is that if you don't know the book of Exodus real well, you miss a lot of what's being developed in John chapter 6. So what I want to do is I want to go back to about 3,500 years in time. Okay? I'll take that back. Yeah, I want to go back about 3,500 years in time. I'm sorry, I had to do a little check uh, in my head. I want to go back about 3,500 years in time, and, and I want to talk to you and tell you a story, if I can, about Moses, bring it to Jesus, and then bring it to this text. See, about 3,500 years ago, it would, have been, it would have been maybe around 1450 B.C., somewhere around there, 1450, 1440 B.C. The nation of Israel, uh, the, the Hebrews, had lived in oppression under the tyranny and the cruelty of Egypt. 400 years 
400 years, Hebrews, ancient Israelites, lived as slaves. They worked every morning from the moment they got up until that night uh, when they just collapsed in exhaustion. They worked every day, seven days a week. And when they could not produce the number of stones needed for Egyptian building projects, they were beaten and sometimes killed. It was, it was a very cruel system that built a great nation on the backs of slaves. In the middle of this time and during this time frame, Israel, even though they were cruelly oppressed, they grew in number. So that the Egyptians began to, to uh, kill the Hebrew babies, uh, the, the Hebrew boy babies. And in, in the middle of this time, a baby was born, Moses, to his parents. And, uh, and his mother, uh, Moses' mother, uh, afraid of what would happen to him, put him in a, a little basket. And she put him in the Nile River where he was discovered by one of the daughters of Pharaoh and adopted by a daughter of Pharaoh so that he grew up, although he was a Hebrew, born of a Hebrew mother father, an Israelite mother father, he grew up to be a prince of Egypt. And then one day, uh, he, he in, in, uh, and I'm not going to go into all the story, he ended up murdering an Egyptian and had to run for his life. The next 40 years of Moses' life were spent uh, in a land called Midian, where he was a shepherd of sheep and goats. And one day when he was caring for the sheep and when he was caring for the goats, Moses saw something spectacular. Now, he saw something that's not unusual in the desert, but the way he saw it was unusual. What he saw is he saw a burning shrub, which isn't unusual, The only problem is that the shrub was burning, and yet it wasn't consumed. And so Moses approached the shrub, and what happened is that God spoke to Moses from that burning shrub. And God told Moses, he said, Moses, I want you to return to Egypt, and I want you to lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And I want to deliver my nation Israel through you. And in, in, in this, Moses objected for a number of reasons. And then finally what Moses does is he does this. He says, um, Moses says to God, he says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, interesting question. Interesting question. Why would Moses ask God, when I go to the nation of Israel, what should I tell them your name is? Isn't that kind of an interesting question? Why would he ask that? And and, and a a, a couple of things here, a couple of things to understand. Understand that that in Egypt, there was a practice of, or excuse me, there was a, a practice of polytheism, a belief in many gods. And, and so for uh, going into a culture of polytheism, it was important that he identified what God he was representing. But the other thing that was probably important here is the name of Yahweh, the name of God, had fallen into disuse and was not, high, was not uh, understood. And so what, what, 
what Moses does, he says, you know, if I go to the Israelites, say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, he said this. He said, I am who I am. I am who I am. And, and he says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, I, I am uh, is uh, the Hebrew form. It's the English form of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which may, basically means exactly that, I am. And throughout most of the Old Testament, whenever the Hebrews would read the name of Yahweh, they would always uh, they would substitute it and say the, the name Adonai, which means Lord. So when you read through your Old Testament, your English Old Testament, what you'll see for Yahweh is you'll see the word Lord. Uh, in the New Testament, when you read it, you'll read the word kurios, or the Greek New Testament. And so uh, in the Greek Old Testament, excuse me, in the Greek Old Testament, you'll read the word kurios, the Greek word for Lord. And so what, what, what uh, God does is, um, I have to look at my notes, figure out where I'm at, okay? So what, what Moses does is he hears uh, the word of God to him, heeds that word, and goes to deliver the people, uh, the, the, the Israelites, uh, from, uh, from Egypt. Real quick, real quick, real quick, okay? Uh, there is a Greek version, a Greek version of the Old Testament scriptures called the Septuagint. Anybody ever hear of this? You know, you'll see it sometimes represented with an LXX, okay? And it's, it's LXX because it was written by 70 different authors who translated the, the, the Old Testament scriptures into Greek. So it's called the Septuagint uh, for that reason. In the Septuagint, when God says, I am who I am, uh, this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, it says, ego eimi. Okay? Ego eimi. It is the, it's the, the Greek for, um, it, it's the Greek for, uh, for I am. And so, uh, and that's going to be important for us in a few minutes, in a few minutes. Okay? Fast forward. John chapter 6. We talked about this a little bit last week. Historical context. Historical context. John the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus, had recently been killed. The disciples of Jesus had recently been out preaching uh, to, to, to the people of Israel in the northern part of Israel, or Galilee. Um, they, they, they were so busy, Mark tells us, they didn't even have time to eat. And so what, what Jesus says is he says, come away with me. And so what they do is they cross the Sea of Galilee from the west side to the east side. And they go to a mountain to be alone. But what the scriptures tells us is that large numbers of people began to follow. And they begin to follow Jesus. And we talked about this last week. And, and, and what Jesus does is he sees the people coming up. We read and understand from the other Gospels that the disciples had said, hey, send the people away so they can get something to eat. But what Jesus does is he decides to test his disciples. And he asks Philip, where would we get enough bread for all these people to eat? And what 
Philip says, is, man, if we had 200 denarii, 200 days wages, okay, eight months wages. If we had eight months of wages, there's no way we could come up with enough food for each of these people just to have a small part. And Andrew says, hey, there's a boy here. He's got five loaves of bread. He's got two fish. But what's that for so many people? And what Jesus does is he takes that meal and he breaks it up into little pieces. And, and what he does is he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. This crowd could have easily been 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people. It was a huge number of people. And it was a miracle. It was a miracle that had a purpose. It was a miracle that had a point. That what Jesus was doing was he's preparing these people to hear that he is the bread of life by giving them physical bread. And, and this is kind of the storyline of, of, of John chapter 6. I want to pick up in verse 14, John six fourteen. We looked at verses 14, 15 last week, but I want to look at it again today. And I want to read for you John chapter 6, verses 14 through verse 29. And then we're going to talk about this a little bit. Okay? Verse 14, after the people saw the sign, this miraculous sign that Jesus did, okay? And John always calls it a sign. Why? Because it points to something significant. So after the people saw the sign, the miraculous sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses had told the people of Israel, one day the Lord will raise up for you another prophet like me. Listen to him. So the people, now think about this. They're seeing something that kind of reminds them of Moses. See, when when Moses led them out of Egypt, God had performed these miraculous signs to prove that he is the one true God, the God of all creation. And and one of the signs that God had given them is he had fed them with manna, bread from heaven, for 40 years he fed them. Now, the, the Jews living in Jesus' day would have immediately made a connection. In their mind, and you've got to call into the mind of a first century Jew to understand the significance of what's happening in this text. For them... For them, they would have immediately thought, wait a second, Israel was under oppression by Egypt. We are under oppression by Rome. Wait a second, God raised up a prophet, Moses, to lead them out from under that oppression with these miraculous signs, and God fed them with bread from heaven. Wait a second. Here is a new prophet who appears to be like Moses, who is doing a miraculous sign, who is feeding us with bread in a supernatural way. Do you understand the connection in the Jewish mind? And so immediately they assume that Jesus is the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Verse 15 The the scripture tells us, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So what they are intending to do is their their intention is to take Jesus, make him their king, 
and have Jesus lead them in this guerrilla campaign to defeat the Romans and, and lead their nation back to greatness again. This is what the Jews had been looking for the coming of one called Messiah. And they believed that the Messiah would be a political leader and a military leader who would deliver the nation of Israel and make Israel great again. And that's what they had been looking for. And so they make this connection with Jesus, and this is their intention. But what Jesus does is he withdraws. Now, we know if you've read through the New Testament very much, you know that Jesus didn't come to be that kind of a king. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, Jesus came to be king in our hearts, not to create uh, and, and lead Israel back to greatness at this time. So, verse 16. When evening came, the disciples of Jesus went down to the lake. The lake is the Sea of Galilee, also called uh, Tiberias, the Sea of Tiberias. And so they go down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. So Capernaum is on the west side of the lake. They had been on the east side of the lake, or the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And at that part of the Sea of Galilee, it's roughly five to six miles across. I've been on that lake. I've been on the, the Sea of Galilee before. And in, uh, in, in, in the Sea of Galilee is about 650 feet below sea level, if I remember correctly. And, and because of that, uh, sometimes what happens is these winds come in and they come up against these mountains on the east side and it creates these storms. And when I was in Israel back in 2015, I took a small boat. We went out on the Sea of Galilee and I got caught in one of these storms in a small boat. I felt the boat pitch. I felt the boat pitch so much it was hard to stand. And this is a modern boat. This is not these ancient boats that they were in. And all of a sudden, this text of Scripture and this story became so alive in my mind because I felt like, I thought, oh, my goodness. I mean, our boat had a motor. I couldn't imagine trying to, to, to row a boat through that. So it says, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark. Oh, by the way, worst time for a storm. You know, you can't see. You don't know where you're going. Uh, you know, the, the waves are against you. The wind is against you. You're getting beat up. Uh, it says a strong wind was blowing in verse 18. The waters grew rough when they had rowed about three or four miles. Remember, the lake at this point is about five or six miles wide. So they had gone a good way, but they still were a good way from land. Um, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water. Now, you and me, I know... A lot of us, we've read the story a hundred times. But think about this. Think if you were living back in the first century, you've not read the story before, and you're living it in the moment for the first time. You see someone coming across the water toward you. Okay? <laughs> the other night, this is funny. The other night I was walking around the block, walking around the block, minding my own business, and I'm walking along. And I can see an animal kind of walking towards me in the dark. So I kind of, I start to turn a little bit to one side so as to not confront this animal. And it kind of turned too. And I turned the other way and it kind of turned too. And I'm thinking, is that a dog? And I thought, no, it's not a dog. It's not moving like a dog. I thought, was well, that a cat? 
we have a cat next door who, you know, likes to be petted sometimes. I thought, was that a cat? And I thought, that's not moving like a cat either. And all of a sudden I realized it was a skunk. <laughs> I was scared. <laughs> I moved to the other side of the, of the street, all right? I wanted to escape the skunk, okay? Jesus is no skunk. And, and, but Jesus comes to them on the water, and he's coming right straight towards them. And I can just kind of imagine, they're in the boat, and Peter's like, pedal that way! You know? <laughs> and they're like, okay, they start pedaling that way. Jesus starts that way. No, pedal that way! You know? And Jesus is coming right towards them, and they are afraid. They're afraid. Where am I at? What verse? Verse 19. All right. Okay, so, so uh, verse, verse 20. Verse 20. But, but then what Jesus does is he calls out to them. It says, they were frightened. And then Jesus said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. You hear the significance of these words? Probably not. The NIV translates this, as does the New American Standard, as does the ESV Bible. It is I. The interesting thing is the phrase that's used right here by Jesus is the Greek phrase, ego eimi. You ever heard that phrase before? Hopefully you heard it a few minutes ago, okay? Ego eimi. It is the exact same Greek phrase used in the Greek version of the Old Testament to identify God as Yahweh. To the ancient Hebrews. Now, it'd be easy to read this and just kind of think, oh, that's just kind of a, I don't know, a coincidence. You know, it can't be translated as it is I. The only problem is, guess what John does with this this little phrase? Ego eimi. He puts these words, he records these words of Jesus 20 different times in the Gospel of John. Now, when something shows up once, you can say it's coincidental. But when something shows up again, 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 you only say this 20 times, again. When something shows up 20 times again and again and again and again, you're probably supposed to pause and look and think, you know what? I think, I think John is trying to say, that Jesus was saying, he is ego eimi. He is Yahweh of the Old Testament. It's the same phrase used by Jesus when he says, I am ego eimi, the bread of life. It's the same phrase that you, Jesus uses later when Jesus says, um, ego eimi, I am the resurrection and the life. It's the same phrase that Jesus uses again when he says, Ego eimi, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is the same phrase that Jesus says again when he says, Ego eimi, the true vine. I am the true vine. What I'm telling you is that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And in the center of this story is the person, Jesus, who is Yahweh. 
But he said to them, Ego me. it is I. Don't be afraid. By the way, when you know Jesus as Ego me, as the Yahweh of the Old Testament Scriptures and of the New Testament Scriptures, there's nothing to fear. Did you know that? Did you know that when you know Jesus as Ego me, you have nothing to fear? Not even in the middle of a storm. Nothing to fear. Then they were willing to take Jesus into that boat. Immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, uh, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that the only boat that had been there, uh, excuse me, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the shore, so this is back, at the, this is back where they did the, the miracle, okay, feeding the 5,000. Uh, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, only one boat. Jesus hadn't gotten on the boat. Jesus had gotten up on the mountain. Uh, they realized that only one boat had been there. And that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. This is what I'm going to do. I've got a sermon to preach. And that was the introduction. <laughs> and it's 5 to 12, or 5 to 11. Y'all got another hour? Just kidding. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. This is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to see. I want you to see. Jesus didn't come to be their kind of a king. Okay? The Jews then wanted Jesus to be their kind of a king. They wanted a king who would lead them out from under the tyranny of Rome. They, they wanted Jesus to be their kind of a king. This is what I want you to see. Every single person in this room, sometimes, sometimes, if not much of the time, wants Jesus to be their kind of a king. Meaning, you can tell me to do anything you want as long as you don't tell me to do anything I don't want to do. This is a part of our sin that every single individual deals with. Is that all of us would love to obey Jesus as long as he doesn't ask us to do anything that we don't really want to do. As long as he doesn't ask us to do anything against our will. One thing I want you to see in this text is Jesus didn't come to be our kind of a king, but he did come to reign in our hearts. I want you to see that. The other thing that I want you to see is this. I want you to see that Jesus is ego eimi. He is the I am of the Old Testament scriptures. And when Jesus is the I am, and when he is the king in our hearts, when we surrender to him and his kingship, not just say, I'm going to be a good church person and go to church every Sunday. 
I'm going to be a good Christian and, and vote for this party and read my Bible every day and do this and do this and add rule upon rule upon rule upon rule. God did not, God doesn't want you to follow rules. God wants you to follow Jesus. God wants Jesus to be king in your heart. And when Jesus is king in your heart, and when you worship him as the Lord God, you have nothing to fear. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team, you guys, come on back up, and uh, I'll, I'll pray, and I'll preach my sermon next week. How's that? Okay? Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. You are the I am, meaning that you are with us. You will never abandon us. At no time, at no time will you ever, ever, under any circumstance, leave us. God, you are with us, not just when things are good. You are with us when things are really, really hard. Lord, today, we want to worship you. Lord Jesus, we want you to be king in our hearts. We want to worship you. We want to follow you. We want to obey you. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Greater, our God is stronger. God, you are high.
week.